long-awaited, promised Messiah, he's coming back again. Advent is not merely a season of preparation of our hearts for the celebration of the first Advent. Advent is also a season of preparation and anticipation for the second coming of Christ. So turn in your Bibles, of all things on this Christmas Eve, to the book of Revelation. We're going to figure it all out this morning. We're staying until 5 o'clock this evening. We're concluding our Advent study of dwell, God with us. We've learned throughout this series that the grand theme of not just Christmas, but all of Scripture is God dwelling with us. The promise is repeated over and over, and it goes something like this. I will dwell with them, Emmanuel, and walk among them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And it's repeated all through Scripture. The wonder of wonders is not just the incarnation. The wonder of wonders is that the God of the universe has a heart that longs to dwell with us. It was God's purpose in creation. It was God's purpose in the incarnation. It's God's purpose in redemption. And it's God's purpose in the new Jerusalem to dwell with us. And through this series, we've learned how through Scripture, God has dwelt with us in the past, God is dwelling with us in the present, and God promises to dwell with us again in Christ throughout all eternity. Put in different words, we have been studying the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas yet to come, which is what we'll cover this morning. As I talk about those different spirits of Christmas, you're probably reminded of the great novel by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. There's a main character named Ebenezer Scrooge. He thinks that Christmas is humbug. All he loves is money and himself, and he is isolated from others and doesn't care about others. But he is visited by three spirits, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas future, uh, present, and the spirit of Christmas yet to come. And their aim is to lead Scrooge to redemption. I'm not going to get into all that the spirit yet to come shows, spirit of Christmas yet to come shows Scrooge, but let it be known at least that this spirit shows Scrooge scenes which reveal his life, his humbug life, as vanity and fruitlessness. And as a result of this insight, Scrooge does repent. And he is a changed man, not just for Christmas present, but for all the Christmases yet to come in his life. Now, Dickens' story 
as beautiful and as redemptive as it is, still falls short of the truer, better story of God's redemption in Christ. Scrooge was transformed for Christmases in this life. Jesus came that we might be transformed not only in this life, but that we might experience God with us forever throughout all eternity. Today's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we gain a picture of the Christmas yet to come, where the promised Messiah comes again and dwells with us forever. Let's all stand at our reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. This is God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen to the promise here all through Scripture, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, And all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. And He wants us to understand and experience his heart for us, that he might dwell with us because of Christ for all eternity, beginning now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that on this last Sunday of Advent, this day before Christmas, we not only contemplate Jesus, your first coming, but Jesus, your return as well. Help us to find great hope in the words you have to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Go ahead and have a seat. So did you see how Revelation repeats the, the promise of God's covenant that is revealed all through Scripture? Look at verse 3. I just want to read it again. If there's one thing I want us to get out of our Advent series this year, and if this is the first day you've been here, you get to hear it again. This is the theme of God's heart. Verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the hope, not only of Christmas present, but of Christmas yet to come. Now, Christian hope is not a doubtful wish. If you've seen the weather report for this evening, it's not this doubtful wish that I hope it doesn't rain. No, the Christian hope is a happy anticipation of a certain good. We have hope in the spirit of Christmas yet to come. For all the Christmases and all the days of this life in Christ and for all eternity. So let's consider a few elements of the hope of the Spirit of Christmas yet to come. First of all, hope in the Spirit of Christmas yet to come for restoration. How many of us here don't long to experience restoration? Restoration in relationships. Restoration in our spiritual life. Restoration in intimacy with God, restoration in all kinds of areas of life. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, when the Apostle John says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, he is not saying that they've been destroyed. New doesn't mean brand new, like a brand new God speaking a new existence into life after he destroys the old one. No, the Greek word new there means new, meaning a different way, a different quality. It's the same earth. It's the same heavens, but they've been renewed. I mean, think about what it means when you become a Christian. You become a new creation. Are you destroyed is your body destroyed? Is your personality destroyed? No. Your heart is renewed and you become a new creation. Your body doesn't change. And one day, this body that we have in Christ will be resurrected and it will be a recognizable body. It will be our body, only glorified. So the new creation is a restored creation. But not only will creation be restored, every single one of us who knows Christ as Savior and Lord will be fully restored. All brokenness will be obliterated in us. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a better Christmas present than that? All of our brokenness will be gone forever in Christmas yet to come. And then look at the curious phrase at the end of verse 1. And the sea was no more. Well, thankfully, that doesn't mean 
there's no more water. It doesn't mean there's no more beaches. It doesn't mean there's no more water skiing. It doesn't mean there's no more sailing. Revelation is the most symbolic book in all of Scripture. And the sea throughout the Bible is symbolic of the churning chaos that results in our lives and in our world through the fall of humanity into sin. And when John says the sea was no more, what he means there is that all of the effects of the fall will be reversed. Everything that is broken will become whole. Everything that is ugly will become beautiful. Everything that is weak will be strong. The sea is no more means that when Christ was incarnate, lived, suffered, died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended, death started turning backwards. And one day, all will be new. Then look at verse 2. John said he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Is there anything more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day? Think about what she does. She buys the perfect gown. She gets her hair done. She gets her nails done. She has someone put on her makeup for her. She's wanting to be the very best version of herself that she's ever been. And we, as the people of God, we can often try desperately to become better people. But unlike the bride on her wedding day, we find ourselves incapable of doing so. As a matter of fact, Look what it says in verse 2. Look closely. I saw the holy city coming down. Did you catch that? Restoration only comes down from heaven. We don't restore ourselves, men and women. Restoration comes down from heaven. And look what it says. From God. We don't restore ourselves any more than we save ourselves. Restoration comes down from heaven. It's a gift of grace. We trust Christ to restore us in every way that we need to be restored. It's like we learn in Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to cleanse her, to sanctify her. In other words, to restore her. The work of Christ is not just to save from hell, but to restore us to the glory of the image of God all through this life. And then one day, in the new Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Not us, not you, 
Not me. The one on the throne says, I am the one making all things new. I'm astounded by how many believers think it's up to us to turn our lives around or to turn over a new leaf or to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No, only Jesus is making all things new. But if you're a believer in Christ, this is your hope that God, in fact, in Christ, is restoring you to glory every single day. And one day in Christ, if you know Him, you'll be perfected. One of the main characters of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is a young boy named Tiny Tim. Uh, Tiny Tim is the youngest son of Scrooge's employee, Bob Cratchit. Now, Tiny Tim is crippled. He's sickly. He's broken in about every way possible. But of all the characters in A Christmas Carol, Tiny Tim is the character that has the most hope. He's the one that believes he will one day be restored. He's the one who hopes that one day he will walk again. He's the one who believes that one day, in fact, he will be made well in this life. He is the one who's always tender and patient and kind and loving toward others. And sure enough, at the end of the story, in no small part due to Scrooge's transformed kindness, Tiny Tim is restored. Folks, the gospel is the truer, better story of restoration. And the one who restores us is Jesus. It will be complete in Christmas yet to come, but it begins now. Don't ever lose hope, men and women. Don't ever lose hope in restoration by grace. Hope in the spirit of Christmas yet to come for restoration. Secondly, hope in the spirit of Christmas yet to come for satisfaction. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, crying, nor pain anymore. Can we be honest this morning, this Christmas Eve, as we head into Christmas tomorrow? Who of us doesn't have to face disappointment and dissatisfaction in this life? We can all resonate with Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. But the spirit of Christmas yet to come holds forth the hope of complete, total, and perfect satisfaction one day. Look at verse 6. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Note again the grace of God. To the thirsty I will give. So one of the great mistakes people make in this life is thinking that we can satisfy our own thirst with things in this life. In Jeremiah 2, he says, My people have committed two sins, two transgressions. They've forsaken me, the spring of living, living water. 
and they have dug out for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold water. What are you looking to for satisfaction in life apart from Jesus? A perfect marriage? A perfect spouse? Perfect children? A perfect bank account? Perfect health? Perfect career? Success? A perfect Christmas experience? Folks, you could have all those things, and I promise you, you'll still be dissatisfied. C.S. Lewis says, if we find in ourselves a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical conclusion is that we were made for a different world. And sadly, many of us are so slow to believe that. We keep on thinking that satisfaction of our thirst is just over the next knoll of trying to make our broken wells work. And they will not. You will never be satisfied in this life with anything until you find satisfaction in Christ. In other words, until Jesus is enough, everything you ever have in life will never be enough. Can I say that again? Until Jesus is enough, everything you have in this life will never be enough. And everything you can imagine having in this life will never be enough. We will only find our satisfaction in Christ. John 6, verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 7, 37 through 39, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart or her heart will flow rivers of living water. This season is often filled with so much dissatisfaction for so many people. Why? Because they're asking Christmas to bear a load it was never meant to bear. And some of us are asking our spouses to bear a load they were never meant to bear. And some of us are asking our children to bear a load that they were never meant to bear. And some of us are asking our careers to bear a load they were never meant to bear. Only Jesus will satisfy and can satisfy our thirst. It talks about the new Jerusalem here, the new heaven, the new earth. In other words, it's the new and more perfect Eden. Every one of us longs to get back to the garden. Every one of us strives to re-enter Eden. And we'll never do it in this life. Have you ever thought that the dissatisfaction in your heart is there for one reason, to point you to the one 
the only one who can satisfy? You're dissatisfied because Jesus is wanting to show you your truest and only satisfaction. Scrooge had a thirst he didn't even know he had, and he tried to satisfy that thirst in success and money and possessions. That's why he held on to things so tightly. But neither riches nor success could satisfy him. And it took the grace of God, the spirits of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come to open his eyes. The hope of Christmas yet to come is satisfaction in an often unsatisfactory world. Hope in the spirit of Christmas yet to come for restoration, for satisfaction, and then lastly, hope in the spirit of Christmas yet to come for adoption. Look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son or she will be my daughter. Notice again the repetition of the great grand narrative theme of Scripture. Dwell. I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will be his God, her God, and he or she, my son or daughter. Now listen. On that day when Christ returns in that ultimate spirit of Christmas yet to come, you'll be no more of a son or a daughter of God than you are now in Christ. But your experience of it will finally be fulfilled. Do you hear me? If you know Christ, you'll never be any more of a son or daughter of God than you are now. Your adoption in Christ is complete. But your experience of love, delight, care, compassion, mercy, kindness of being in the Father's family will finally be fulfilled. What, Je- what the Father said to Jesus, you'll hear perfectly then. What did the Father say to Jesus? Well, at the baptism and at the transfiguration, the Father looked upon Jesus and said, this is my Son. I love Him. In Him I am well pleased. We hear that faintly right now. Sometimes perhaps as a whisper. But one day we will fully hear it with everything in us. Now, Contrary to popular opinion, we are not all children of God just because we're born human. The only way we experience adoption is in Christ. The only way we experience restoration is in Christ. The only way we experience satisfaction is in Christ. In other words, it's not by walking an aisle. It's not by professing faith and being baptized. It's not by attending church. It's not by growing up in a Christian home. 
It's as God opens our eyes the way Scrooge's eyes were opened. And we recognize that we are lost. And we recognize that we've been trying to gain our own satisfaction and perform our own restoration. That we've been performing for love for our Father in a family. And we recognize that tomorrow we celebrate Jesus dwelling with us as the fulfillment of all the promises in the past where God told the Old Testament church, I will dwell with you. And Jesus comes to dwell with us and He lives a life of perfect obedience that none of us could ever live. And He dies a substitutionary death to pay a penalty that none of us could ever pay. But it's not even understanding that. It is personally placing our hope and trust in the promises of God's grace alone through the person and work of Christ. Have you done that? Look, let's not romanticize Christmas. Dare I say for billions tomorrow, they will celebrate what they do not even possess. And look what God says about such people at the end of the passage. Look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. Warning, folks. That first part of verse 8 is talking about people in the church who profess faith but don't possess salvation. In other words, it's, it's just head knowledge. Or they don't persevere. The fruit of the gospel isn't born in their lives. Look, the, the message of, of God's grace is not just unconditional love. It's also the message of supernatural transforming power. Jesus says that a tree will be known by its fruits. So away with the romanticism of Christmas. Do you know this Savior. Then he goes on and talks not about the church, but the world. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. You see, true sons and daughters bear a family resemblance of the Father. And look what the end is. Verse 8, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, the second death. Our adoption our restoration, our satisfaction depends on our response to the Lord Jesus in the gospel. You need to know that in A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, as we see through the spirit of Christmas past, was a wonderful young boy, happy, somewhat satisfied. But he had a harsh, unloving father who neglected him. And Scrooge spent his life trying to prove himself. And that's why he became isolated and cold and hard. And Christmas was a humbug. It was his response to the pain and brokenness of life. But then because the three spirits are sent to him, he opens himself up to love again. 
And that's what God asks of us in the gospel. Are you willing to open yourself up to love again? If you know Christ, you'll never be unloved. You'll never be neglected by a harsh father. But you'll be loved, delighted in, and adored by a good father. The change in you will be more real than the change in Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Tomorrow we celebrate a beautiful, wonderful day. But it is nothing like the spirit of Christmas yet to come. Where those in Christ will experience total restoration, complete satisfaction, and unending love for eternity. Do you know that you know this Savior whose birth we celebrate tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the consistency of it. From Genesis to Revelation, your heart is you want to dwell with us. You want to be our God. You want to walk among us. You want us to be your people. And so, Father, if there's anybody here this morning that maybe the light bulb went on and they see their need for Jesus. They, they, they see that they professed faith, but they've never possessed it. God, may today be the day you restore them, you satisfy them, you adopt them. And Father, for the rest of us, help us to recognize that we're never going to totally be restored in this life. We're never going to be totally satisfied in this life. We're never really going to truly experience the enormity of the love of our adoption in this life. But one day, one day we will. And so, Jesus, even so, come quickly. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction. Again, God gets the last word, right? The word of his favor, the word of his grace. Invite you to come back this evening at either 5 or 6.30. Bring a friend, uh, bring a work associate, pound on doors, and tell them to come hear about Jesus. Receive now the benediction. And now, may the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May He turn His countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace, both now and always.